0: the priests of the sacred tent have no right to eat. As you know, those animals whose blood is brought as a sin offering by the high priest into the sanctuary have their bodies burnt outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate to consecrate the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him Outside the camp, bearing the stigma that he bore, for here we have no permanent city, but we are seekers after the city which is to come. Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer up to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the tribute of lips which acknowledge his name, and never forget to show kindness and to share what you have with others. For such are the sacrifices of which God approves. Amen. May God bless to our hearts an understanding of his word. This week in the city of Washington, uh, on January the 20th, in the city of Washington will be the inauguration of the President of the United States. The purpose of that inauguration will be to remind the people of this country of the continuity of government, of how it continues on. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is to remind us of the continuity of the kingdom of God that it goes on far beyond any earthly kingdom. In the midst of the inauguration, we are reminded only of how quickly time passes. When we look at the president in his viewing stand, we can think that he is only a man, that he is made of dust, that he is feeble and frail. When we recall the somber events of November the 22nd, 1963, And how in a moment in the twinkling of an eye the most powerful man in the whole western world suddenly was made dead. And all of our hearts stood still and we waited and watched for news from Dallas. And we were reminded again of our own finiteness. We were reminded of our own frailty. And all human government is that way. Change comes always. Who would have ever dreamed two years ago that the president would have visited Peking or Moscow? Who would have ever dreamed 20 years ago that we would sit in our living rooms in December 1972 and see a view of the planet Earth as it looks from the surface of the moon? the strange momentum of history is pushing on. It's good for us at the beginning of a new year, those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, to come together and worship him and to seek from him values that are not victims of time, to look to these sacred symbols that will be set before us and contemplate their meaning for our own souls and for our own lives. And what do they speak to us about? Today, I think the meaning most that comes to us is that we should recall that we who are identified with Jesus Christ must also be willing to suffer with Jesus Christ. There came a time of great shaking and trouble. When a group of Jewish Christians steeped in the knowledge and liturgy of the Old Testament were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, they were either in the city of Alexandria or in the city of Rome. Their pagan friends taunted them and said to them, why don't you renounce both Judaism and Christianity? Their Jewish friends said to them, You're fools, you worship a crucified one. There is nothing there, forget it all. Return again to the old ways. And they were persecuted. They were persecuted for the cause of the Lord Jesus. And so they were being tempted to go back upon their faith in him. Many of them were being tempted, and caught up in that tension, a writer who is really known but to God writes this epistle to the Hebrews. He begins by recounting how God, who at sundry times and in many ways has spoken to his people, he tells how God had spoken through the patriarchs Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he tells how God had spoken through Moses at Mount Sinai. And then he tells that God has spoken through someone who is better than Moses, of so the ritual that Moses had established, that God had spoken through his son who became the exact imprint of his person, who identified himself with us The writer calls him our great high priest. He is the last of all the priests. I am not a priest, but I am a preacher of the gospel that the great high priest brought. And what a great comfort it brings to our souls when we come to communion. And we remember this priest, this great high priest, even Jesus himself. Think about it when we come to prayer the writer said to these Hebrew Christians, Since, therefore, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the faith we profess. For ours is not a high priest unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who, because of his likeness to us, has been tested every way, only without sin, Let us therefore boldly approach the throne of our gracious God where we may receive mercy and in his grace find timely help. Do you see what is brought to us here? And what would be the testimony of those who knew this great high priest and who walked the roads of Galilee with him? There is Peter, Blurting out his blasphemies, denying that he ever knew him, full sometimes of hot temper and anger. And he could say, I know my great high priest and I remember how he looked at me and loved me in spite of what I had done. And I know that he intercedes for me. He is touched with the weakness of my infirmities. By infirmities here, it means our disposition towards sin. And he was touched with it. He was blameless. He was without sin. And yet, he had sympathy for those who were tempted and for those who had fallen. And what about Zacchaeus and his loneliness and his lust after gold when everyone else would fail to speak to him how Jesus spoke to him and changed his life? What about Mary of Magdala, out of whom seven devils were cast? What about old melancholy, skeptical Thomas, who never knew what to believe? How he said Jesus, even after he was risen from the dead, put up with him and said, Thomas, look at these scars in my hand. Thomas, look at this wound in my side and be no more faithless but believing. What about that Saul of Tarsus, that mad zealot who in his blazing hatred of the followers of Jesus of Nazareth persecuted and hounded them even to distant cities to put them up in prison and consent to their death? He could tell you He met me on the road to Damascus. And I have found in him my all in all. How Jesus changed his life so that he could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's our great high priest. One who understands. One who sympathizes with us. One who goes into the presence of God to represent us and one who represents God to us. He said, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And so this writer to the Hebrew Christians tells them, don't go back on your faith. Don't go back on it. He knows this time of shaking has come. He knows that they are set in this time of great persecution, probably somewhere between the persecution of Nero and the persecution of Domitian and how bitterly they suffered for the name of Jesus. And yet he calls upon them to be faithful and to remember him. And then in the 13th chapter, he begins to give them, as scripture is always doing, practical exhortations. He tells a these Christians who suffer for Jesus to show hospitality. That was one of the amazing things to the pagan world, the fact that these Christians loved each other so much that when one was in trouble, everyone went quickly to his need. So much so that the Roman emperors had to forbid them from even coming into the prisons because they sought to help one another. They were just that gracious and that kind. He says, remember, some by doing so have entertained angels unaware. Remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them and those who are maltreated. How do you feel about Christians in Eastern Europe, in Russia? How do you feel about Christians in North Korea and in China or in Cuba? Christians who are literally persecuted for Jesus, do you ever give them a thought or ever pray for them? Remember those who are in prison as if you were in prison with them, says the scriptures here. And these were people just as we are, made of flesh and blood, tempted and tried. And we are being exhorted to remember that we are to suffer with Christ and with his people We're not to live for the love of money. We are to be content before God, remembering that he has promised he would never leave us nor forsake us. We are to remember our leaders over us, those who represent Christ truly to us. We are to remember, and this to me is the greatest single verse in the whole Bible, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All that he was yesterday, he is today. And all that he is today, he will be forever. And he's here, here this morning. And then he tells them once again how excellent this sacrifice of God is. This Jesus who suffered outside the camp. And he tells us that we are to go outside the camp with him. Bearing his reproach, for we are identified with him. His value system is to be our value system. His way of looking at things is to be our way of looking at things. The world does not look at things this way. And this secular theology, with its devastating toll, has wreaked moral havoc among people in America. We are to remember that here we have no continuing city, that here we are a part of the passing parade, a pilgrimage that begins in the Garden of Eden and ends in the city of the New Jerusalem. And just as there were those who who did not enter into the promised land who fell out because they disobeyed God, so there are those in this pilgrimage who fall aside. And he tells them not to be startled by that but to remember that they are to bear the reproach of Jesus Christ. There are three things here. It's the sense of the eternal, that we are one with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and we look at things from a different viewpoint than the world does. Jesus said, love not the world, neither the things of the world, through his servant John. He said, ye are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. And we are to remember that. We are to be separate and holy, identified with the Eternal One. Secondly, he wanted us to remember this absolute sense of values. Right and wrong are words that have no meaning apart from God. But God does bring meaning to them. When Augustine, that debauchee, and sensualist, was converted to faith in Jesus Christ and was met on the streets by a prostitute with whom he had lived and who turned away from her and she said, Augustine, it is I. And he said, but it is not I any longer. He was changed. His life had been transformed by Christ. And when in the 5th century he saw what had been called the eternal city of Rome, that it stood like a colossus for centuries, crumbling into dust, and the barbarian hordes making their way, and everyone wondered and quailed at what was happening in this time of shaking, Augustine saw then a city that was permanent, and he wrote his greatest book, The City of God. So the writer tells us to be faithful to Jesus Christ, to go forth outside the camp bearing his reproach. Maybe it's because it's snowing outside. Maybe it's just this particular text of scripture. All week long I've been thinking about the epistle to the Hebrews and I've listened to it on records. I've read in it. I have studied it. I have listened through the entire epistle twice. But when I think of these suffering saints and of the saints of God who have suffered down through history and of the easy time we have it, it comes as an inspiration to my faith. It brought to my mind what Philip Schaff records for us as one of the best authenticated stories of martyrdom in the history of the early church. Many of you will remember it. It's the story of how on one occasion, high in the mountains of Armenia, one of Rome's great legions had received word from the emperor that every soldier must stand the test of worshipping the emperor. They were called to come before an altar set up to the emperor And to pour out some wine as a libation and to take a pinch of incense and put it on the fire. And there were 40 soldiers, 40 Christian soldiers who had distinguished themselves as men of great valor and courage. And when their general read the proclamation and the other soldiers came forward, these 40 refused to come. Their general who knew their excellence as soldiers and their great valor came to them and pled with them. He said, it's only a little bit of wine. It's only a little incense that you put there. And they said, we have taken a vow to be faithful to Rome and we will die as soldiers of Rome. But we have only one God and only one master and He is Jesus, the Son of God, and we will not pour out a libation to the Emperor's God, nor will we put incense on an altar to Him? They were condemned to be stripped of their clothing, their armor, their garments, and to march naked out onto a frozen lake high in the mountains of cold Armenia in the bitter of winter. As a special temptation, there were great campfires where the soldiers were bivouacked. There was warm food and there was clothing there and out on this frozen lake were these 40 Christian soldiers. They chanted a chorus, chorus, 40 Christian soldiers wrestling for thee, O Christ, ready to win for thee the victory and from thee the crown. As the night wore on and the temperature began to fall, one after another the voices were silenced by the cold as they fell, frozen to death, until finally only one soldier was left. He came naked and blue and freezing to the tent of the general and before the fire and said, I am ready to put the incense on the altar. I am ready to pour out the wine to the emperor. I am ready to take the oath. The sentinel who had been guarding the general's tent and who had heard that hymn of praise to Christ said, do you mean that you're becoming a coward and you're going out on Christ the man bowed his head. The other soldier stripped from himself his armor, threw aside his sword and spears, and took off his clothes and walked naked out onto the ice. And all the soldiers heard him pick up the refrain. Forty Christian soldiers wrestling for thee, O Christ, ready to win for thee the victory, and from thee, The crown. To live the Christian life is not easy. These elements here tell you that today. They are like a road map. When you pick up a map and look at the route you are to take, you're not on the journey when you look at the map. You're on the journey when you're on the road. This is our map. This identifies us with the suffering of Christ when I see tears falling from a person's eyes, those teardrops are symbols of sadness in his heart. These right here are symbols today. Symbols of joy because of redemption which we have in Christ and symbols of the struggle which Christ has won in victory over sin. Believers are to come Repenting of their sin and knowing that their great high priest has made intercession for him. And praise God for that forgiveness and take it. And know that just as really as you take that little bit of bread and that little cup of grape juice, that those physical signs are telling you that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. It will not pass away. And one day we will take this feast again with him in his kingdom.